You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you further. You step forward little by little, not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls, calls you to enter in to deeper waters. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I'm Nick Peters, your host, seeking to bring you the very best in Christian scholarship and apologetics. And today is no exception. We got Halloween coming up, so we're going to talk about stuff that could be themed maybe a bit spooky for some people, but we're definitely going to be talking about a hit sensation, at least here in America. I'm sure it is everywhere else around the world. A few years or so ago, my wife and I were browsing on Netflix, and she saw an advertisement for a series called Stranger Things. Now, I was a bit hesitant at first, because I don't like my wife watching a lot lot of paranormal stuff, but this was more science fiction, I found out, and she wanted to see it, and she got hooked, like so many people do. And at the end of season three recently, after we were watching that, I thought... I wonder if anyone's written on this series from a Christian perspective. And lo and behold, it didn't take me long to find out about our guest and his book that was coming out, and I immediately sent an email saying, how can I get my hands on this book? So we are going to be looking at The World Turned Upside Down, Find the Gospel in Stranger Things by Dr. Michael Heiser. He is a scholar in the fields of biblical studies in the ancient Near East. Dr. Michael Heiser is a scholar in residence at Faith Life Corporation, the makers of Logos Bible Software. He studied at Dallas Theological Seminary, has a master's degree in ancient history from the University of Pennsylvania, master's in Hebrew studies, and a PhD in Hebrew Bible and Semitic languages from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. He has published hundreds of essays and peer-reviewed papers in scholarly journals and popular periodicals such as Bible Study Magazine. He has taught the collegiate level for well over a decade, specializing in the Hebrew Bible, Northwest Semitic languages, Biblical Hebrew, Biblical Greek, Syriac, Aramaic, Ugaritic, Egyptian, Akkadian, Sumerian, Phoenician, and Moabite, Biblical theology, the history and religions of the ancient Near East, and Second Temple Jewish literature. And apparently he's a huge science fiction fan, at least for Stranger Things. Dr. Heiser, welcome back to the Deeper Waters podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me back. If my audience doesn't know much about you, can you tell us a little bit about how you got to be doing what you're doing? Yeah, um, and I've actually had a career change, too, that uh, I should mention. But Mm -hmm. we've been living here in the Northwest for 15 years. Uh, All that time I've been spending at Logos. Initially, I was called academic editor, which meant I helped edit data projects like uh, the Septuagint Interlinear, Pseudepigrapha in Greek, you know, for for our software. So I was doing a a lot of that and writing on the side, but that sort of transitioned into, um, you know, more content production directly. Uh, My title changed to Scholar in Residence, and I've been writing books and reference material and articles for the magazine. So that's what I've done for most of the last Mm -hmm. 15 years. I've I also was teaching in distance ed. So I've taught in the, on the Green Campus for about 20 years, distance ed almost 20 years uh, in biblical studies. But uh, most of the last few years have been uh, devoted to writing. Mm-hmm. So in a nutshell, that's what I do. I have a podcast of my own, Naked Bible Podcast. We just, we're creeping up on 6 million downloads. Uh, we should hit that by the end of the year. Uh, So that's been running a few years, and uh, I've been very active for over 20 years in what we might call the paranormal fringe community, Mm -hmm. uh, trying to inject some good thinking, uh, especially about Scripture and about primary sources and about Jesus uh, in the fringe world, you know, people who believe, you know, really – off out of the box sorts of things that Jesus being married to Mary Magdalene and ancient mm. aliens and all that kind of stuff. So they they those ideas tend to be built upon very poor uses of the Bible or a hatred uh, of the Bible. And so I want to do something useful in that space as well. And that sort of is mm-hmm. is why 
Lexham asked me uh, about this book, so we can take it from there. Mm-hmm. So you say in the book that X-Files, you consider that to be the event of your adulthood. Stranger Things is the event of your childhood, which yeah. that might sound <laughs> odd to some people because when this series came out, you were no longer a child. Yeah, and it was after the X-Files, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I say that because I was one, I mean, my you know true confessions here, my, my daughter got me to watch the show. It was about, mm-hmm. She was about three three episodes into the first season. Mm -hmm. And she knew that I liked X-Files. I was a big fan of that show in the late 90s. And so she said, you should watch this. And so I did. And and I was sucked in right away. Uh, Initially, it was the nostalgia of the thing because Mm -hmm. I graduated from high school in 1981. The show is set in 1983. Um, And the attention to detail in the show is really nothing short of remarkable uh, you know the the, the the stores they go into yep i was in that store you know the the movies you know the music you know, just just everything they use and repurpose in the show reminded me of my town you know when i was growing up my kids marveled like was there really a time when you could just like you were in junior high or high school and and you just rode around on bikes everywhere like unsupervised and you just sort of when it was dark, you came home and you just rode around. And, yep, that's the way we grew up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they just were shocked. You know, by that. So it, it just drew me in real quickly. And then, you know, the, the, the paranormalist sort of themes begin in the very first episode. Mm-hmm. And I've always been interested in that sort of thing. So I was, I was hooked pretty easily. I was, I was mm-hmm. you know, pretty much fair game for the, the creators of the show. We've got a little generation distance between us, no doubt, because you graduated in 81. I was born in 80. And my wife, who also loves the series, was born in 90. So there was a huge difference there. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I like what you said about how they pay attention to details on the show, because in this third season, you see a, a bit of a marquee outside the movie theater with all the movies playing and Back to the mm-hmm. Future playing. I looked yeah. up all the movies I could remember. They were out at that same time. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. They released season three mm-hmm. on the same weekend chronologically in the show that mm-hmm. Back to the Future w- launched, mm-hmm. that it's, it's release weekend. And that's very mm-hmm. intentional. They, they do mm-hmm. things like that. And it telegraphs certain things. I mean, for people who haven't watched the show, and I don't mm-hmm. want to speculate too much about what they're going to be doing in season four, but there are about a dozen you know, either overt or really clever references to Back to the Future in the show, in season three. And mm-hmm. and again, the from the very beginning, you know, the, mm-hmm. the day they release, you know, drop the download is, is that same weekend back when Back to the Future debuted. So they're telegraphing something uh, to their community, to their fan base uh, with that. And they they just do that all the time. And, th- and that has helped draw people in too, because it's very clever. Again, attention to detail. The storylines are, are, are you know, it's a story well told. Mm-hmm. They, they, recre- they use, you know, movies from the period to actually reproduce scenes in the show. Some of the scenes in the show will mimic, you know, famous, you know, scenes in some of these movies. So people, people look, you know, watch the show just to see what they're going to do creatively. But, you know, there's there's so much more to it than that. There's there's a lot of mm. of real powerful uh, spiritual themes mm. that if you're paying attention and you know the you know the salvation history as story from the Bible, yeah. you're going to be able to track uh, through the show along those lines. And Dr. Heiser, I've had someone give me this kind of criticism about the show when I wrote a blog after season three, which I don't know about you, but my wife and I pretty much binge watched that one. But yeah, we did too. <laughs> but I get we got the criti- I get criticism. From someone, yeah, but this show has premarital sex. It has alcohol in it. It has kids using mm-hmm. profanity and yep. Dungeons and Dragons, which I don't have a problem with Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. But all these concerns came says, how can you as a Christian support this kind of thing? Holy cow! The show has lost people in it. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> you know, I I, I would. I would change the question. How can you as a Christian be frightened by these things when you're supposed to be interacting with lost people on a day-to-day basis to win them to Jesus? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, do, do those things drive you away from speaking to people, mm-hmm. your neighbor, 
you know, the, the kid that sits next to you in high school yeah. about the Lord. You know, if mm-hmm. it does, you're a failure. You're mm-hmm. a spiritual failure. I mean, I'll be blunt about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get it, you know, as, as you know, if, if your parents are sitting there with your kids again. And, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, can, you can point out, like, you know, that's bad language. We don't use that language. And, and, and frankly, if they live in your house and you don't use that language, they're going to know you don't use it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the kids in the show, the characters in the show are all broken, like the kids – you know, mm-hmm. both within Christian homes and outside of Christian homes. Uh, this is the condition of the world. And, and you know, it, it's, it's actually a very useful thing because uh, in the book, first several chapters of the book, you really track through the first couple episodes of, of season one where, you know, you have, for, you have the four kids. One of them gets abducted by something. We don't quite know what it is and we won't know for a while mm-hmm. uh, in the show what it is, but it's something otherworldly. And you know, on the, on the positive side, it does introduce the viewer to this this other reality that most people deny exists or, or don't mm-hmm. even have a thought of existing, and, and it's real. Mm-hmm. But the, the 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 flip side of that is is he's lost, and it becomes a great metaphor. He's lost in the realm of death, the veil of shadows, as the show calls it, and it's inescapable. He can't save himself. You know, no one can save him without supernatural help. Mm-hmm. To do so, we we learn that real quickly. Uh, the 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 people in the show again, they're all broken. Some are broken a little. Some of some of them are broken a lot uh, through both self destruction and think you know e- human evil you know per, uh, you know perpetrated upon them, and they they can't save themselves either from their situation. They can't fix themselves. They try to medicate. They act out. It's life. This, mm-hmm. is, this is the lost world, and I think all of these things are a great metaphor for introducing the viewer. And, and, if, and if someone in youth group is using my book or, again, just the person who isn't even interested in Christianity but just loves the show, if they read the book, they're going to see how, wow, you know, the, these are the, uh, the, the way the characters are. And, and this, this Bible thing, it's like it presents people the same way just on a, on a much wider, you know, macroscopic level. It just – everybody's in this condition. Mm-hmm. We're all destined to die. We cannot save ourselves. We can't fix our situation. Our help must come from an external supernatural source. Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating is in the show, this source, of course, is the character Eleven, who she is who she is because of her own suffering. In other words, the, the abuse that this kid went through that produce these special powers she has were actually necessary to, to create and, you know, and cultivate those powers. She wouldn't be who she was, who she is, and who she must be to save her friends and the rest of the town mm-hmm. without her suffering. You know, and when she delivers you know, the, the kids from a, you know, trouble, she bleeds. I mean, the, it, there's all sorts of, of deep spiritual metaphors that track on salvation history told as story in the Bible, the story of Jesus, mm-hmm. the nature of Jesus. There he is hidden in plain sight. He's the savior of the world. Nobody knows that he's any different than anybody else. You know, he's, to, to, to use the phrase from the show, he's the weirdo on Maple Street. Eventually, people figure out there's something strange with this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, but it, it, there's just a number of things mm-hmm. that the show does really well with, with, this, with you know, the biblical theological story. But it starts with brokenness. Mm-hmm. And so, the thing that, that some Christians are objecting to, oh, we don't want to look at that. Well, do you want to look at that in your neighbor? Mm-hmm. Because that's where the world is. And God has told you that's where the world is. And these are the people you are supposed to be introducing their fix, their solution to. And I would dare say you can't do that unless you interact with them. Mm-hmm. You know, leaving a track on, on their, you know, in, in, their, in their post office box from an anonymous person, that is just, that's lame. Okay, it's just lame. Especially with Halloween coming up. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, I I think it'd be a great idea actually to slip my book in in some of the kids' bags because I think the parents would read it. You know, the kids Mm -hmm. might read it too. But you got to have relationships. At the end of the Mm -hmm. day, there there has to be some interconnectivity, interactivity. And yes, the the lost world is ugly, but you were part of it. Mm. You're 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 still in it. You're commissioned to to do something about it. And you can't do that if you won't interact with it. 
Hello, this is Andy Bannister, the director of the Solar Center for Public Christianity, and I'm delighted to endorse and uh, recommend the Ministry of Deeper Waters Apologetics. I've been hugely impressed watching the work that Nick has done over the years, building up the website and the podcast, the quality of the guests that he gets onto there. And I love the way that uh, the ministry challenges and encourages both Christians and those who don't have a Christian faith to really think through the claims of the gospel. I'm also impressed by just how Christ-centered and Nick is and all that he does is his desire to see people encounter Jesus Christ and the life-transforming truth of the gospel. So uh, more strength to them. It's been a privilege to know Nick over the years, and I hope Deeper Waters goes from strength to strength. And if you haven't yet discovered it, check out the website deeperwatersapologetics.com for yourself. Now, let's uh, also be clear about some, I mean, the show's clear by the different perverse and yep. about all these gospel parallels you see they're not doing the anything deliberate <laughs> yeah yeah i was about to say it's not like, like the devil bro sat down, sat down and said how can we tell a christian allegory like chronicles of narnia that's probably not their intention at all is it no the, the duffer brothers nothing i mean I've, I've listened to interviews and read interviews with them um you know, and they, they sound just like you'd expect, you know, lost Hollywood type people to sound, you know, they, and they don't, you know, portray any, any sort of Christian uh, mm-hmm. testimony or, or even background. I mean, they may have a, some background, but there's really only one thing in the show that feels overtly Christian, and that's, toward, that's in the last episode of season one. But mm-hmm. I don't think they're doing any of this stuff intentionally, which to me makes it more powerful, mm-hmm. because what it, what it, what it shows is that God's using it. And, you know, God is engineering the circumstances. Good storytelling will map to good storytelling. And the Bible, the salvation history is a story well told. You know, it, it, this is why we, you know, you can watch a Marvel movie. You can watch a, a DC Universe movie. You can watch some drama or whatever. All of the major questions in life and the major archetypes of of you know art and, and you know literature and film, they play off whether they do it intentionally or not. They play off the major questions and archetypes of scripture. They 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 mimic the great story as you know to, to steal it from Tolkien and Lewis. You know the the, the the story of Jesus, the Gospels, is a myth, but it's the myth that turned out to be true. You know, it's mm-hmm. the myth that's true. Mm-hmm. And it, it has all the elements. And so, you don't have to be thinking about what makes a great story. You just create one, and it, it will map over. I'll t- I'll, my dirty little secret for the book, let me just tell you how I did it. You know, I'm an academic, so, you know, the Lexham approached me about this idea. They knew I was a fan of the show. You know, I had written Unseen Realm and Supernatural and Angels and Demons and all this kind of stuff, okay? Mm-hmm. So they thought, you know, this would be a natural fit. And when, when they pitched me the idea, I thought, yeah, that is a great idea. And then I thought, well, how would, you know, how am I going to transition here to do this? Well, I had just self-published a little book designed for either new believers or seekers, you know, somebody who wasn't a believer, called "What Does God Want." <laughs> it's a mm-hmm. simple question: What does God want? What's this whole thing about? And so I self-published that the first third of it's a real short book. First third is is the the story, you know, the the Genesis to Revelation, what God wants told in story form. Mm-hmm. And then there's a little section about what the gospel is and what it is not, and then a little bit on discipleship. So it's real simple, but I, I had just put that out because I wanted to control the content. My my nonprofit translates this stuff and then we give it away for free to, you know, as, as much as we can. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to take the first third of that book, the meta-narrative, as scholars refer to it, the supernatural epic, the supernatural narrative of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation that answers the question, what, what God really wants. And I'm going to use that to map over to Stranger Things. Because once I, once I had the idea, I, I, just, I saw immediately that this is not going to be difficult. And honestly, this was an easy book to write. It was easy because it, it just, the, the way it portrays the characters, their needs, the way it portrays supernatural evil in the show mm-hmm. is, is, is very, again, illustrative of, you know, things we see in scripture. Yes, it has its Hollywoodish, grotesque, you know, sort of elements to it. It does that, but, but it does two things that, that a lot of these shows don't do. It shows the intelligent manipulation of people by evil. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And it introduces the concept of the hive mind, which is really important. You know, all the evil characters sort of, you know, function as one. They, they, are, they are controlled and governed by one great intelligent evil, you know, mastermind, the Satan figure in the show. But, but that strength, it, it makes it feel all-powerful. But it's actually its greatest weakness. Because the hive mind cannot consider thoughts that are not part of the hive. And that's how providence works. God has his own plans. He, he is, you know, moving people around and, 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 you know, getting involved in people's lives through other people, sometimes through supernatural agency. But God has his own agenda, and he is moving the pieces on, on, on the board. Now, the, the, his opponent, the, you know, the evil mastermind, can learn and never forgets, but it can't anticipate and, and that, again, I think is a really, really important lesson that, that instructs us about providence. This, this show, I would say if, if we were talking about a movie, uh, if, if I were teaching theology, I, and I, I've done this, I either showed or gave extra credit for my theology students when we were talking about providence to watch the movie Signs. Mm. It's, a, it's a Shemalian film with Mel Gibson in it. Mm-hmm. It, is the, it is the best visual illustration of, of, of providence I have ever seen. Well, this show is the best TV uh, illustration of, of providence that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Everything in the show matters. The, 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 the heroes, the kids, and, and the, the other people who know about this, this spiritual threat, they, they, it looks completely hopeless. And, it, you know, kind of on paper, yeah, it is. It's like, who are these? They're, they're not going to be able to beat this thing, but they just do what they can. And they leave things there. Now that the show doesn't credit how these how their decisions come together and produce an outflank evil, they don't. The show doesn't give credit to Providence for that. You know, it, it, it's portrayed as something serendipitous. But that is exactly you know how Providence works. You know, our lives are a collection, are a concatenation of do I make the right? You know, do I turn left or do I turn right? Of having a conversation with someone that changes everything. Mm-hmm. Of of missing you know missing that bus, you know, or catching it just in time. You know, our lives are just a string of those kinds of circumstances. And if we really believe that there's a God who is interested in us and who will not withdraw his his shared attribute of freedom to us, that we're not all just robots, else we could not be imagers of Him. If we really believe these things, then He is always present, doing something to put us in circumstances and is supervising, is superintending, is the word theologians like to use. And he will bring people into our path to get us to make the right turn instead of the left, or again, supernatural agency, the spirit or some other, you know, supernatural, you know, encounter. I mean, he will do that. But but we, we most of the time, practically all the time, we never notice. Mm-hmm. We never even think about it. And, and we, only, we only really think about it when we look back on our lives and we see this whole series of things and how things could have been different, but they're not. This is the way they are. And, and again, the show just sort of strings that out. You, know, you get to see it you know, moment by moment and things come together. And, and you ask, how is intelligent? I mean, how, how are they able to do this? Well, the answer is the hive mind cannot think outside itself. It is not omniscient. Okay, there is something greater than the hive mind. I, I, I think the show does a real service there. So, there's any, I mean, I, I filled a book with these sorts of things, but I don't think the creators are sitting there, you know, writing the script going, oh, you know, how do we illustrate providence? No, they're not doing that at all. Mm. But the, the fact that it does still, despite them, to me is really interesting. What do you think really is the draw of a show? Because, I mean, there are several science fiction shows that come along and, but this one seems to have gotten a practically cult following immediately. <laughs> yeah. Why is that? Yeah, I, I think I think there's several things. I think there's several things that, that draw people in. One is the nostalgia. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's very it is very clever. I mean, this is obviously a decision on the show's creators where the main characters are kids. And so they're gonna get the kid audience, they're gonna get the the, the middle school, high school audience, you know, young adult. But then they're gonna get their parents too, because the parents are gonna remember life back in the eighties, you know. So 
people get drawn in by the, the, the nostalgia and, and, the, and the connection with the characters. There is the paranormal element, and I think that is a big draw. I mean, we, in our culture, you know, it's the scholars have actually paid attention to this and called it re-enchantment, the re-enchantment of the world. Mm-hmm. Because as the culture has, has there's, this, there's this wing of it, this militant atheist wing, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, appears to have grown. I, I actually don't think it, it's grown that much. I think we just see and hear more of it because of the internet. But, but people have this perception that, that atheism is growing because, you know, traditional churches, you know, are dwindling in numbers and stuff like that. Both of those things are different from, related to, but different from the interest in spirituality. Most people in the world, not just the West, but the world, are not satisfied with an atheistic, mechanistic, materialistic worldview. Mm-hmm. It does not satisfy. Mm-hmm. It does not answer, you know, the big questions. And so, they're looking for something else. And and yes, you know, we can talk, you know, I mean, there are lots of reasons why they wouldn't be looking to traditional Judeo-Christian institutions, but that doesn't mean they're not looking for spiritual content. They're looking for it everywhere. And so, when you when you hit a show like this, that is, is this isn't just a throw-in. This is a core element to the show, that there is an alternate reality beyond the one that we experience with our five senses. And most people have no idea that it's even there. And then, and then those that do come to understand that it's there and it's real. It changes them. They are never the same. The way they interact with each other, like, like they have, they're the ones, this, this little inner circle that has this knowledge and, and, and they, they're also aware of the evil and the threat that it brings. It, I think it's a great metaphor for how the church should be because all of these characters, the kids and the adults that are associated with the kids, they all have conflict. You know, they're, they're different. You'd never put them together. You know, everybody's favorite is Steve and Dustin. Like, you know, who would have ever put those two together, you know? But at the end of the day, all of their differences and the, and the conflicts they have with each other, they can put those aside and function as one because they must. They know it's a life or death situation. So, the, the, their experience of the supernatural reality gives them identity and it gives them a mission, you know, and, and it's, it's a desperate one in the, in the show, you know, it, and that's what, what a lot of people lack today. And, a, and a, a materialistic, atheistic, you know, mechanistic worldview isn't going to give you identity. It's not going to give you purpose. And so, people look outside of it and they look for things that are quote-unquote spiritual. And they find, many of them find this show and it, they, people want to believe that there is something some other reality out there beyond the one we experience, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to have that knowledge, you know, it, it again, it, it, it touches them uh, in the book. You know, I talk about again, how, how this is, the show actually does mimic this sort of pre Pentecost and post Pentecost, you know, kind of, you know, situation that the, the, you know, the believers find themselves in and, and the fear that it brings, the vulnerability that it brings, but also the sense of mission and purpose that it brings. Uh, I think that's really, Again, another thing that really sucks people in, this hunger for a spiritual reality. And then lastly, I think, it, you know, back to the characters, everybody can see themselves in the characters somewhere. Like I said, they're all broken. They've, they've all done stupid things. They've done self-destructive things. They've had destructive things done to them. Other than Lucas, they're all the product of a broken home or they have some issue of neglect within their home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, most viewers can identify with that. On, on some level, and then the, the response, you know, like they're high school kids and, you know, they're, they're having the high school struggles, you know, with, you know, their, their identity and, you know, again, poor decision making typically and their need to belong, you know, to something, their need to be loved. Uh, it, it really puts the characters in the right place to, as to where the gospel finds lost people. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's it's just a it's it's a wonderful thing to to observe and draw attention to, and then transition into you know this is this is really like how God sees us and here's what God wants, mm-hmm. you know God isn't just here to to you know wag a finger at you and give you rules and yeah you know the, the laws are there because God doesn't want you to do self destructive things because He knows what'll make you the most happy, but at the end of the day God wants you in His family. You're estranged from him. He loves you. He, he can fill this void in, in your heart. 
And he wants you to participate with him in helping find other people just like you. You know, it's it's really easy again to to map the things over to the show that that are really core elements of scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I find it's just fascinating to think about it. I grew up in the time when video games started making their appearance, and uh, uh, that's still a large that's still a large <laughs> part of me. And I hear mm-hmm. you because when I'm talking about some sort of game or something, this is a world bigger than myself because no one wants to grow up and just live a sort of nine-to-five life, grow up and live your life and then you just die and you've gotten... I think there is something in us that often says, we want there to be more. We want there to be some kind of adventure. We want to do something to make a difference out there. Yeah, you you don't want to just take up oxygen and watch the clock move. Yeah. You know, it. It's just, yeah, and that and that's part of who we are as you know, being created as imagers of God. We have, you know, we, we want significance. We have this sense that we, you know, we want to belong to something bigger, and we want to, we want to participate in something bigger, and that that's just inside of us because that's what we were created for. It's what God wants, and the fact that we. You know, there was a supernatural rebellion and a human rebellion, and, and it just destroys the thing. God never gave up on the original plan. He's still pursuing the things that he wants. And, you know, we, we have these impulses because, again, we were created to fulfill those things in God's good world. But now we, we aren't in God's good world anymore, but we still are who we are. And, and it's a, you know, it, it's, it's a human thing. These are human things. Mm -hmm. And this is why when we tell stories, whether it's literature or, you know, whatever type of literature or film, these things just come out. They're just there because Mm -hmm. of of who makes them. And again, I I think that's, it's wonderful to think about that because even when when a creator isn't trying to do Christian stuff or gospel stuff, it's the elements are still there. We just have to be thinking of, of salvation history. You know, the Bible is, you know, Bible is, 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 a, is a record of God's effort to get what he wants. Okay? And he's still on the path, you know. Um, he, he's going to, to, you know, work things all, you know, together, you know, for our good, those who love him and, and his own, you know, initial plans, it's going to come full circle. You know, the Bible is a record of that salvation history. So, if we would just learn to, to think about the Bible that way, that God is, is, per, is pursuing his original designs, and the, and the gospel is sort of the linchpin event to all of this, it, it, it's not difficult. Again, if we're thinking in the right mode, so to speak, it's not difficult to, to have that in your head and then watch a show or read a book and think, boy, you know, they're Look! Look at what just look at what shows up there. You know, it, it, this is this is a really significant spiritual theme, and there, again, the reason for that is because a human produced it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a human produced it, and it's just you know it's part of who we are. Mind everyone, at this point, you're listening to a Deeper Waters podcast. Everything we do is supported by listeners like you. And Dr. Heiser is only going to be here for an hour today, so I'm doing this a little bit earlier than normally. If you'd like to support us, please go to my website, deeperwatersapologetics.com. There's a link on my side, help support the work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. You click there, you get taken into the ministry of Risen Jesus, the ministry of Mike Lacona. Stay up the right place. Those are my in-laws, Mike and Debbie Lacona. And you uh, make your donation. 
If you can get in touch with me or my wife, Allie, or Mike or Debbie and say, hey, I made my donation. I won't go to Nick Peters. I won't go to Deeper Waters. And we will give that donation. It will be tax deductible. You can also go and buy some uh, e-books that I have written. Uh, Creed for the Ages, the Apostles Creed in today's Christian being the main one. I'm working on another one right now, actually. We spawned Richard Dawkins's latest book, Outgrowing God. And uh, you can, uh, can uh, buy ones that I've co-written, Creed such as uh, Groundless, God and Natural Disasters, The Mention of Bars Project is a big one, two books I've done on inerrancy, there are there. And uh, if you can't do any of this, please go on iTunes and leave a positive review of the Deeper Waters podcast. You all really have no idea how much it means to me to see that kind of thing. Uh, Dr. Heiser, do you have an organization or charity you'd like to see people donate to? Yeah, um, my nonprofit is miklot.org. That's M-I-Q-L-A-T. Miklot is a Hebrew term that means haven or refuge. And, you know, we... I use that to support ministries, you know, that I I care about um, as they come on the radar. And we also produce translations of anything that I have the rights to, uh, to do so. So we have about 25 translations of Supernatural. Uh, My little book, it's the light version of Unseen Realm and the translations of What Does God Want? I think we're eight or nine into those. So we pay for those. And the, the hope is that people will find them online and use them in any way they want. There's no royalty. It's free. They can repurpose it in any way they want. They can print it themselves. We don't care. We just want the information out all over the world. So that's miklot.org, M-I-Q-L-A-T dot O-R-G, and there's a, there's a button there for, to donate. I think we should definitely spend some little time talking about the character that you deem as the supernatural hope. Eleven. Who is Eleven, exactly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Eleven is a girl, and she's, you know, at the beginning of the show, you know, she's 11 or 12 years old, something like that. Um, she's introduced in the first episode uh, toward the end. It, it, the first episode begins with the disappearance of one of the four boys uh, who are, you know, they, they call themselves the party. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're a little group. And again, Will, Will Byers is the one who is abducted, again, by some otherworldly means. Again, we don't quite know what, how that happened or what, you know, what was behind it. And as his friends are out in the woods looking for Will, uh, it's pouring rain, and they come across this girl who is wearing nothing but a lab gown. She's soaked. Her head is shaved. And it's like, what in the world is this? <laughs> you know, so, you know, they, they bring her back to, to Mike's house and, you know, try to communicate with her. She, her vocabulary is pretty limited. She has to be introduced to the concept of what a friend is. Um, you know, just things like this. That, and, and, you know, you, you don't really know, you know, there, there are hints, you know, early on that there's something different about this kid. But Eleven, as she becomes named by, you know, by the kids because she has a tattoo 011 on her. She doesn't actually have a name, you know, at least that she knows. She has, again, telekinetic powers. She has, you know, some other powers too that allow her to uh, think, you know, go back in time mentally and, and, and interact with people on, on a different plane of reality. But she has these powers because she was... A, she was experimented on. She was studied and experimented on uh, in a lab near the town of Hawkins, Indiana, where all this takes place. And the, and the show, I think, very cleverly and, and just to be you know, honest here, I think usefully, uh, links this to MKUltra, which some people will know about uh, before the show, but certainly they, they track on in the show. MKUltra was a real program but run by our government. Um, to experiment with different, you know, mind control methods and and these these sorts of powers. I mean, the, this this actually really was done to people. We know this because of congressional hearings that you know were in the 70s when the program was exposed. So they used that program in the show to be the backdrop 
for this kid. And she has escaped the lab, and in, in part, she's the one that's causing the problems accidentally because of the way she escapes. And she becomes this, this core person that begins to use her abilities and powers to help her friends. You know, she, she ha- makes friends with these boys. And eventually, they all figure out that there's a deeper, more sinister part of this. And Eleven has to, in the end of season one, sacrifice herself um, to save the kids you know, from, from a beast uh, that has emerged from the other reality, which they call the Upside Down this alternate reality, the upside down, or the veil of shadows. Those are the two terms for it. So when Eleven saves them from bullies and, and other things during the show, every time she uses her powers, she bleeds. She ble- Her nose bleeds, or her ears will bleed. Uh, and so it, it's a very clear, you know, to a Christian watching this, you know, it, the, the blood and the deliverance, again, very, very track very well uh, with each other. But in the end, she again, sacrifices herself and she winds up, you know, you don't know if she's dead or not, but she, she sends this beast back to the veil of shadows and she goes with it and she gives her life, you know, for them, you know, to, to rid the world of Hawkins as, as much as they can tell of this spiritual evil. You know, it, it comes back just like in the new Testament story, you know, the, the crucifixion you know, does solve the problem of human mortality and as a payment for sin and all that, but that doesn't mean evil's still not there, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and the apostles, of course, find that out real, real quickly. Um, so she becomes this Christ figure, uh, and and it it in this in season two it's telegraphed in, in some different ways as well. Uh, she is a, a this supernatural power dressed as a nondescript, awkward girl who just is. She gives every impression she has no idea where she even is. She's never had a family. She, she has no relationships. She doesn't know how to interact with people. It, there she is. You know, and, and she, uh, visibly, she just doesn't look like anything different except maybe for the, the shaved head. But they put a wig on her and she looks pretty good. You know? uh, so there she, there she is, but she's this powerful thing hidden in plain sight, who will, you know, ultimately uh, deliver the town and her friends from this evil. And and again, she comes back, I'm not going to get into too much in case people haven't seen the show, but it's not the last you've seen of her at the end of season one. But she, again, is a, is a recurring uh, central character to the whole thing. And she is the, the stopgap for all of the evil of the mm-hmm. upside down. She is the thing that it must defeat. And she is the only one capable of defeating it in the show. Mm-hmm. I think I should definitely ask for the sake of my wife, what you think about her favorite character on the show, Hopper. Oh, yeah. Hopper is the poster child for we cannot fix ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I... I he is, you know, and, and he confesses it. You know, we're, if you remember in the show, it, uh, toward the end of uh, season two, when, you know, Eleven returns home and they, they have to close the gate and Hopper takes her out to the lab. The conversation they have about he views himself as just a black hole. Like he, he moves from one black hole to the next. Everything that, that is near to him gets destroyed. He has to explain the metaphor to her, but that's what he is. You know, he, he's he suffered terrible pain. You know, he lost a daughter. That, that partly explains his his uh, overprotectiveness of of Eleven, who is you know quite powerful. But he he cannot lose her again. He can't lose his daughter again. So he's he's sort of living vicariously the, this life that he wanted to have with his his own child who died. Uh, as you know, I think she was five in the show. So he has great pain. It cost him his marriage as well. So he tries to make it go away by womanizing and drinking and, you know, doing too many over-the-counter drugs. But, but he's the sheriff in the town. He's the cop. But somehow he's still the guy that thinks clearly enough to do the right thing, even at personal risk. 
My, one of my favorite episodes is in the first season when, with again, I don't want to telegraph too much, but your wife will know who this is, but or what this is. But the scene with Hopper in the morgue, mm. because you you could you could just put yourself in that scene. It's like, do I or don't I? You know, it, it's it's a line that if if he crosses mm-hmm. this line, mm-hmm. he's it changes everything mm-hmm. in in on so many levels. And and yet again, he has the clarity of thought that. You know, I'm, I'm going to go with my gut here. I just know something's wrong. And so he does the unthinkable, and it, it's the turning point, not only for him, but, you know, for Joyce and really for the rest of the show. So I, he, he's a favorite, even though he's, he's such a mess. Mm-hmm. But you understand why he's a mess, and you, and you root for him. <laughs> you, know, you, you don't want him to be a mess. You, you, you want him to, to get get out of the, his pain. And, and I think a lot of people can identify with Hopper real, real easily, real quickly. And, and they still want that law and justice do right, you know, kind of guy uh, in, in life. They, they want people like that. You know, you know, people look for people who stand for something, even, even if they're a mess. Um, so I think that's why he's such a favorite. Hey, Deeper Waters fans, Sean McDowell here. I'm a professor, writer, and a speaker. And I just want to tell you how much I appreciate and value the work of my friend Nick Peters on his podcast, Deeper Waters. He gets on some of the top guests in their field and asks them some great, practical, timely questions. I hope you enjoy and listen to the work at Deeper Waters and pass it on to a friend. You mentioned the themes of friends when you talked about Eleven, and that's something else I think is fascinating about the series, because as powerful as Eleven is, I don't think she could do things without her friends. And friends and family seem to be a major theme in Stranger Things. Yep. It's belongingness. Again, the, the, the hunger to belong, the hunger to be loved, the hunger to be accepted. Again, because it, it, it's, it's part of it's part of the, the, the need for identity and purpose. And family, again, is supposed to give people that, but it frequently doesn't. Again, and especially in broken homes, there's, there's a, can very easily, you know, in my case, you know, my, my parents were divorced when I was five and my brother was three. Yeah. And I allude to this uh, in, in, in the book. So it, 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 it does, everybody in the show has attachment pain. Again, some are, are, not so bad, and others are pretty severe. I like Hopper's very severe, and of course, Eleven is because she's been so isolated. Um, but everybody except for Lucas has some kind of broken home situation, and Lucas is black, and so he's, he doesn't really fit in either in the town. You know, so they all have this issue, and you know, family, a sense of belonging to something. And having friends really is a big deal in the show. And again, that that's such an easy thing to map the you know mm-hmm. the gospel story too you know that that what does God want He wants mm-hmm. a family that's that's what the whole thing's about you know he, he God wants to create humans not because there's any deficiency in Him but He just wants a human family He He wants intelligent creatures who are like Him He already has a family you know in in, in the spiritual realm the sons of God Job thirty eight there before the creation of the foundation of the world so He's already got that but He wants them He wants a different set now. And he's good, he, he wants embodied, you know, children. And so, he's going to create them, but he has, to, he has to also create a place for them to live, this thing called earth, because they can't live in the spiritual plane because they're different. They can't come to him, so he comes to them. You know, after the world is created, God comes to earth in this place called Eden. He has his kids there with him, both his supernatural family and his, his earthly family. The whole design was to make humans fit from the very beginning for sacred space. Mm-hmm. It was the most natural thing in God's mind to have humans with him. Mm-hmm. This is quite different from any other ancient Near Eastern or ancient worldview. Uh, because humans are not fit for sacred space in any other system or with, uh, with other deities. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas in the biblical story, that's the whole reason they're here. Uh, to to be you know with with God, and you know so he comes to them in Eden. But you know we know the the whole thing gets blown up through rebellion, and there's a cost to it. But God never gives up on the original plan, and that's salvation history. God figuring out a way you know to to return to Earth, re- you know restore Eden, bring back his family, 
you know, we use theological words like redemption and kingdom, you know, for these things. And they're, they're good terms because they're biblical terms. But I think people need to think about what's going on in Scripture as a story. I think it would be so helpful uh, to a lot of people who are exposed to Scripture because, you know, the average person, you know, who goes to, especially the average teenager, you know, in youth group, you know, a lot of it's about do's and don'ts and, you know, the Bible becomes sort of a set of propositions, you know, things to, like I said, either do or don't, and, and, and isolated, you know, theological statements that are really important. But but unless they have a framework, unless they fit somewhere in a story, it's hard, especially for today's uh, kids, because they're so visual. They are, frankly, so story-oriented because of video games and, and, and whatnot, the internet. Um, it's hard for them to track you know, with, with just a set of propositions. So, I think it, we really need to return to a story approach and a story model for a, a post-modern and really a post-Christian world. I think it's really going to matter uh, in the long run uh, if they can see a, a story told in front of them about what God wants, and they are the object, of that. they are what God wants. Um, if, if, if that can be told and rehearsed, you know, in, in their mind in story form, I think it'll make a real a real difference. Something else also about Stranger Things that I really started noticing a lot in the third season, but <clears throat> each, throughout each season, <clears throat> so many of the characters have their own kind of story arcs going on, and then, don't be hell, as it gets near to, to the mm-hmm. end, everything converges together, and you see the story was connected all along. Yeah, yep. And again, that's isn't that the way providence works? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I, again, it's it's just illustrative of. You know, I say it's illustrative because again, this is why I wrote the book. It's 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 not terribly difficult for somebody who spends a good part of every day thinking about. Uh, biblical theology or theology, mm-hmm. you know, to to have these thoughts flowing through my head, and then I watch this show, and it's like, oh wow, look at that! Uh, for the average person, you know, they need somebody to sort of alert them, you know, to to these things, these connections of how this, what you just observed, you know, what you just mentioned here, how all the stories are connected. Mm-hmm. It, it, it takes somebody to sort of come alongside and say, see that? That's just like this thing over here, you know, again, in salvation history. Mm. So, that's what I'm hoping the book does. But yeah, your observation is is correct. And I think it's another, uh, another facet of how the show is very useful for talking about the unseen hand in our lives and really in, in the story of, of, of humanity. No doubt some appears to you so much about the show is the whole idea that there is something greater than ourselves right around us. I mean, this isn't like mm. aliens in a whole different world that have to travel across light years to get to us. This is something that's proverbially right outside your back yep. door that, that's just not yep. interacting with us right now. It's right in Joyce's living room. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or Will's bedroom. You know, yeah, there it is. Um, so, yeah, and, and again, if, if – and I, again, this is a hope for the book. You know, hopefully – the, the the book can can bridge what a viewer is seeing and, and say hey this is an important thought that you're you're looking at right here and and if if you can gra- grasp that thought then let, let's transition over here and see how this thought in this show this is what the creators of the show want you to think about and look at look at how similar it is over here to something in in scripture in the gospel mm-hmm so I, I thought there were, you were going to go on a little bit more there. Yeah, and something else that we can say about this is this series, it doesn't take place in an area like, say, Washington, D.C. or Las Vegas or New York or some major city. It takes place pretty much in the middle of nowhere. Yep. Hawkins, Indiana. Mm-hmm. You know, uh you know, you, now you've you've watched the whole thing. So season oh, yeah. three, the, the big thing in Hawkins was the mall. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, Hawkins got a mall. Well, I remember the the first time I ever saw a mall. I mean, and, and I remember it was a big deal. It's like, wow, look at there's like all these stores in, in one under one roof. Like they're all like in the same building. 
you know, it's like I don't have to go across town for this and then drive over here for that. It's all here. And even restaurant, you know, we, we laugh at that now. Like, well, you know, good grief, what's the big deal? Well, you know, there was a time in the history of the world where there were no malls. Okay. <laughs> right, things <laughs> are going. A, we're about to get that time again. So, yeah, here you have this. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, there you go. Now now it's all, you know, online. But, uh, yeah, it, the, the town, I think that the thing with the mall will telegraph what kind of town this is. Mm-hmm. It's, it is out in the middle of nowhere. It's, it's average town, Midwestern town. You know, it's small enough that pretty much everybody knows your business or has an inkling of it. You know, the, the, the people who grew up there are still there now. They're the next generation of teachers and store owners and stuff like that. Um, that's what it is. You know, and I think that the, the advent of this wonder, this modern wonder of the mall, uh, it kind of illustrates that. Yeah, I remember when I first moved to seminary, I had a friend come with me who grew up in Missouri. And he told me right after we went, had to go to a grocery store, and he had go one time on his own. He said, I had never seen a supermarket like that before. And to me, it was, yeah, I've grown up with this. <laughs> this is a big deal. But him, he was absolutely stunned that a place like that existed. Mm-hmm. Or it's like, uh, what's his name? The the guy who took over after Gorbachev, Boris Yeltsin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember, again, this is this would have been in, I guess, late 80s, early 90s, but he comes over. This is, a, this is the, the premier of the Soviet Union, and he's fascinated by the grocery store because he can get, um, what was it? It was soft uh, pudding. It was either pudding or soft-serve ice cream, like out of a out of a machine, you know, like, and like, this was a marvel. <laughs> mm. it's, like, it's like he came from another planet, you know, mm. or when the Berlin wall comes down, the people from the East move to the West and they're like, you know, all these things we heard about, they're true. You know, it just, it, 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 it's, it's such a revelation. It's, it's a, it's a great, uh, it really gives you, you know, the perspective you need to kind of understand, you know, where it shows at. Hey, one more quick question here. I think we're going to see a sequel to this book after season four comes out. You know, I don't know. We actually haven't had that conversation. Um, that would be really interesting. Uh, they they have not. Uh, the publisher hasn't brought up the. You know, hey, could we? Could they, they'll probably if they want to do that, they'll probably ask for like a, a couple more chapters and put it out as a revised version or mm-hmm. updated version or something like that. But they yeah. actually haven't mentioned it, so I think they're kind of waiting to see what the response is. Well, Doctor Hazard, well, I'd like to thank you for coming on, t- giving your time to us today. Uh, everyone interested, the book right is uh, "The World Turned Upside Down: The Gospel According to St- Finding the Gospel in Stranger Things." Right now on Amazon, the time of recording, it is 9.25 for a paperback. I don't see anything for Kindle yet, but the paperback is 9.25. Now, Dr. Heiser, do you have a blog, an email, a website, where people can get in touch with you if they want to find out more? Yeah, my homepage is dr, as in doctor, msh, those are my initials, so drmsh.com. And that's pretty much the nerve center for fiction, you know, my fiction, my nonfiction, blogs, YouTube channels, podcasts, everything. You can find it there. Mm-hmm. And do you have any uh, final thoughts that you'd like to leave today from the Deeper Waters podcast? Yeah, I would, I would hope, again, specifically as it relates to this book, I th- my ideal sort of target audience here is um, – Kids and youth groups, but also uh, seekers, uh, people who just love the show. You don't have to be a Christian to enjoy and get a, get a lot of benefit out of the book. I think uh, it, it'll help you appreciate the show on another level. But again, I'm, I'm hopeful that you, if you're not a believer or you know believers or people who aren't believers, you could hand them this book. And it would be a good conversation starter, you know, to see how skillfully the show does what it does, but then also how it maps over to uh, an even, you know, more important story. Mm-hmm. So, target audience is Christian youth, any fan of the show, including people, you know, who, you know, are detached, you know, from Christianity, uh, but might be seeking or at least open to a conversation. Mm-hmm. 
Well, Dr. Heiser, I'd like to thank you for coming on. Hopefully we'll see you back here again sometime, maybe after season four or even possibly season five of Stranger Things. Yeah, that would be nice if they get a season five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd like to remind everyone that next week, well, I'm still working out, but I'm going to do what I can to get us a good guest. For now, I'm Nick Peters, and I'm signing off, and I affirm the virgin birth.